0: Hi everyone, Sam here. Thank you so much for listening to The Policy Dispatch. Before we dive in, if you want to enjoy premium access to the podcast and want to read or listen to the unmissable and informative journalism from Foresight Climate and Energy, make sure to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for less than one euro a day, which will give you access to our website and app. Just follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome aboard this week's edition of the Policy Dispatch. I'm Sam Morgan, your host and navigator for the twisting turns of the energy transition. We all know that transport is a massive part of the shift towards a decarbonised economy. In many countries around the world, emissions are still accelerating, and although solutions are clear and obvious, electrification, better use of public transport, less driving, more cycling and so on, policies are either still playing catch up or failing to do their job. In some cases, they are simply non existent. In Europe's southeast, on the Balkan Peninsula, work is ongoing to improve the region's transport links. The idea is to improve trade and political relations, create jobs, increase happiness, and reduce emissions. There have been some notable improvements and milestones in recent years, but there is still plenty of work left to be done in Albania, Bosnia Herzegovina, Kosovo, Montenegro, North Macedonia, and Serbia. This week, I'm speaking to Matej Zakonsek, who is the director of the Transport Community, an international organisation whose main purpose is to help integrate the Western Balkans into the EU's transport networks, through the adoption of laws, standards and best practices. In today's discussion, which we recorded before the summer break, Mate gives us an inside look into the work that is currently ongoing, as well as explaining why developing rail networks is top of the agenda, and why sustainability is a driving force behind many projects. Before we get started, time for the policy dispatch quiz question. Today, I'm asking you, how many kilometers of rail track does Albania, a country of nearly 3 million people, have? Is it A, zero kilometers, B, 334 kilometers, C, 668 kilometers, or D, 1,336 kilometers? Answer after the episode, now on with the show. So, Mate, thank you so much for joining the episode today. I've been really looking forward to chatting with you about transport policies in the Balkan region, in particular, and how this all feeds into the wider issue of the energy transition that we we cover at Foresight. Um, so, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Sam. I'm uh, very happy to be on your show. Fantastic. I guess to to sort of uh, kick off, um,
0: your organization, the transport community, uh, perhaps people haven't heard about it before. You have a lot of objectives, all focused on interlinking the region's transport networks, aligning them with uh, the EU's rules and regulations, um, and I guess generally improving the situation for passengers and businesses and and everyone involved. Um, Perhaps you could... Sort of speak, first of all, a bit more about what the transport community's primary objectives are and how they're linked to the green transition as well. You know, what what is your what is your um, raison d'etre?
1: So, um, great to talk to you on exactly the sixth anniversary of the signature of the Transport Community Treaty, which was signed in Trieste exactly six years ago, with one single aim, and that aim is the complete integration of the transport markets of the Western Balkans into the European Union. Now, how do we achieve this uh, very clear uh, goal is working on the two parallel tracks. On one hand, we are working, helping with the regional partners here, so the region here, the countries in the region, to adopt and implement all EU legislation when it comes to transport. And on the parallel track, we are also helping them with the concrete connectivity projects, so the projects that are connecting the region among itself as well as with the European Union. Mm-hmm.
0: When you say um, EU legislation, does that just apply to things like infrastructure or you know, charging networks, this kind of thing? Or is it the deeper stuff like uh, engine standards and CO2 targets? Or, or is there a bit more nuance there?
1: Well, the Transport Community Treaty uh, is quite unique uh, when it comes to the different uh, EU policies uh, you know, outside the EU. Why it's unique? Because basically, the if you're a part of the transport community, that means that you need to adopt and implement all EU legislation. So everything which is regulated on the EU level in the EU should be exactly the same in the region. In practice, that means that the roads, uh, how it's, the road, uh, roads are regulated or how the trains are regulated in Austria should be exactly the same. So the same standards, the same rules as in Albania and vice versa. So that is that means a complete integration. Now, the part of this, so basically um, what is different than, you know, it's not, an, it's not an approximation. It's a complete integration. And that means that, for example, in the rail area, when a specific regional partner, so country here in the region, adopts and implement all EU legislation, it can actually start performing the services within the European Union and mm-hmm. vice versa. That actually is a win-win situation, because basically what then happens is that you get the countries outside the EU already prepared to the entrance to the EU before the date of the entry, whenever that will be. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they can also get the benefits of the specific the EU acquis before they enter. And that really means that the citizens here in the region can feel what the EU accession, what does it mean to be part of the EU? And that's the magical part of the transport community. Mm-hmm.
0: When you're talking with uh, national governments and authorities about how they can actually achieve this to really align with this existing legislation how much of a driving force is you know the climate aspect the green transition aspect of um, making transport policies how much of a driving force is that for these for these government bodies and administrations is it a real um it's top of the list of things they want to achieve or is it more you know not as important as in other countries
1: Look, I think that uh, the region definitely, as it starts, faces something which we call the infrastructure gap, which means that basically if you look at the density of the road network, specifically also the rail, of the, how the inland waterways are used, also the airports and the rest, we see that there is quite a big gap, both in quality as well as the density, as well as the needs of the region compared to the EU. Mm -hmm. Of course, also within the EU, you have different countries with different levels of need and so on. You know, it is somehow perhaps more similar to the situation that it is in Croatia or, you know, Bulgaria, Romania and so on that it is, for example, in Sweden. Mm -hmm. However, that focus in the last year has definitely meant that, for example, in the last 30 years, 80 percent of all the investments in the region went into the road network. Hmm. The reason and the result of that is obviously very uh, varies here on the ground, where you see the core Tenti network, so basically the main corridors, you see that actually when it comes to the road transport, the infrastructure is actually quite good. However, what is not in very good state is the rail network. Hmm. And really since the last three, four years, the rail sector has really gotten all the attention in the Western Balkans. We started actually with organizing the first Western Balkans Rail Summit a few years ago, where we really put the attention on the rail. Why? Because of the state of rail in the region, because of the state of you know, infrastructure, but also legislation, and of course also the need and the promise that rail brings to exactly what you said before, to the green transition. Mm-hmm. It is very clear for everybody in the region that without rail, we do not have a transport network without rail we do not have we cannot really decarbonize uh, transport in the region and that's why i think all the governments here in the region have recognized that but secondly not only they have recognized that it also became an absolute necessity why i why uh, i say an absolute necessity is because when they do apply to the different fundings so through EIB, through the EBRD, through, for example, everything that European Commission is offering through their assistance, you see that the rail is actually getting a preference. What does that mean in practice? That means that the rail projects in the region could get co-financed with a grant of 50%, up to 50%, mm-hmm. the road, up to 40%, which obviously means that the rail projects are definitely now... Uh, uh, having a big, big push everywhere in the region, and we see the results already happening on the ground. And I can tell you more about that as well.
0: Uh, it's interesting because um, I guess it's one of those almost magic bullets, right? The, the rail network. If that's if that was leveraged to its fullest, then passengers and freight and everything would definitely um, be moved from the roads to rail. But the EU is also struggling somewhat to, you know, whether or not it's technical standards, cross border traffic ticketing, all of these things that make rail um, less successful than it could be, is there then potential for the Balkans to be better at rail than the rest of the EU before they even join because there is this, like you say, there's a a fresh impetus to do more and to solve problems that maybe existing EU members are just unable to do at the moment?
1: Look, the situation, the state of play of the rail in the region uh, is not good. Uh, And that is exactly what I said before, the lack of investments, the lack of modernization of the rail, the the lack of maintenance in in the last years and so on. Um, What's the result of that? The result of that is that at the moment, for example, there is only one international passenger connection in the region. And that's between uh, Belgrade, so Serbia, with uh, Bar, so the city on the coast of Montenegro. That's the only existing passenger connection in the region. That is everything else was discontinued throughout the years. The average speed of the rail, uh, of the existing rail, is around 50 kilometers per hour, or even lower on some segments. That means that, of course, the rail has stopped being used by the passengers, and currently in the region, The rail is being really used mainly by by the cargo. But now, this is the current state of play. However, we already see that the change is not only uh, coming in the future, but it's already here. Now, the most obvious example of this is that a lot of money is going into modernization of rail, and for example, for the first time in the history, we have a high-speed railway between Belgrade and Novi Sad, so two biggest cities in Serbia, which is going parallel to the highway, and with the highway you go in one hour, with the rail you go in half an hour. Not only that, passengers return to the rail in masses. Mm -hmm. We are talking about millions of passengers that are only using this small segment, small, between the two major cities. Now, this section is now already getting extended. So this is the famous Corridor 10, which is then going all the way to Budapest or to Zagreb on the other side. So it's basically getting renovated uh, towards now the border with Hungary. And by 2025, the rail connection with Budapest will also be established in terms of modern rail connection with high-speed train, which will make the travel between those two cities under three hours. My point is, that this kind of investments and investments also that the EU is doing through the economic and investment plan, for example, from the Belgrade then south towards the border of North Macedonia and then towards the Greek border or the Bulgarian border on the other side, you know, it's really promising that the rail has the future in the region. Uh, And once it is modernized, once it's actually there for the passengers to use, passengers come back, and if we really tackle this, I think that is the key to decarbonisation of transport, but also a key of actually bringing passengers back to the railway.
0: Um, so you said about the the high-speed link between Novi Sad and, and Belgrade. Um, obviously, this is a segment of the rail that is getting used. It's got a market. Is that the kind of infrastructure projects then that you recommend or you make recommendations about where it's not being, right, we need to do a huge high-speed li- line that connects three countries immediately do you, do you sort of advocate for this step-by-step approach to build up the network rather than thinking too big and, and running before you can walk in a way?
1: Look, uh, first of all, I think that uh, focus and prioritization really is the key uh, due to, the, mm-hmm. of course, um, you know, the funds which, uh, which uh, have to be used in a strategic way, but also the capacities of administrations, experts to deliver on the projects. And I think that this uh, focus is achieved by following the 10T. Uh, So the trans-European network uh, is a very clear way of prioritization of projects, where, how, by when, and by which standards should they be built in Europe. And this 10T network is now also extended in the Western Balkans. So that's why one thing that we definitely recommend to all governments here in the region is to stick to the 10T. And to make sure that whatever is on their TEN T network, being on the core or comprehensive line, gets done according to the TEN T standards and according to the deadlines. But your question was then, you know, regarding the rail and the high speed uh, element of this. I think what is really essential indeed is that there is a modernized rail on the main corridors. Here in the Western Balkans, we basically have three main corridors. There is one, which is the corridor number 10, which is the one, you know, connecting uh, on one hand Zagreb and then Budapest and then going through Serbia and then going through um, Skopje towards Greece and then going through Sofia towards Istanbul. So this is really like, let's say, one of the major corridors, or the biggest corridor. Then there is also the corridor 8, which basically will connect with rail rail the Black Sea with Adriatic Sea via Albania, North Macedonia, and Bulgaria. So that's also a very interesting connection because basically it will connect, like, like I say, two major seas. And then there is also a connection between Croatia and then going to entire Bosnia-Herzegovina down again to Croatia to the port of ploce But um, just to finish with the uh, answer on the high speed, I don't think... Um, it is really the question whether there should be a high speed or what is the high speed. I think it should be fast enough. Mm-hmm. Fast enough in the region is why am I stressing that is because this region is relatively small. Uh, if you go from Belgrade, which is the headquarters of the Transport Community Secretariat, there is only 500 kilometers. You reach all other major cities. Mm-hmm. The only other major city, for example, Tirana, is 600 kilometers. Which means that if you have a railway that reaches 150 kilometers per hour, actually, you know, you have really, uh, you got the connection throughout entire region, which is sustainable, which is good and which is good enough. Now, there are certain segments where the uh, terrain is flat, where perhaps you could, where you could definitely reach higher speeds. But I think that, you know, the Balkans has quite a lot of mountains and so on. So the difference between 150 kilometers per hour and 200 can be huge when it comes to investments because you need different alignment, the speed and so on. Mm-hmm. So I think the key should be speed enough or let's say fast enough railways within the region.
0: Hi everyone, Sam here again. Just wanted to remind you and maybe your colleagues as well that premium access to the pod and Foresight's brilliant journalism is just a click away. Try a subscription for 30 days for just 29 euros. That gives you access to our website and audio app. Go to www.forsightdk.com forward slash subscribe. Follow the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Just be smart and not necessarily, you know, go for 300 kilometers an hour when you really don't need it. Or, exactly. If, if we get back to the idea of um, EU legislation being adopted in the western balkans if we think about transport related laws like i don't know the emissions trading system being extended to road transport and maritime transport um, electric car infrastructure charging and so on how long does it take for it to bleed across the border from you know from brussels to serbia uh, north macedonia etc is there a, a real gap between it being adopted in the EU and then it come into the region? Or is there even a, you know, your, your members see that it's happening in Europe and even try to get ahead of it? You know, let's try and do this before uh, France and Germany and Spain all agree to it because we already want to do it. Why should we wait? You know, is there ever any, what's the appetite like, should we say?
1: Look, I think that uh, the legislation part is quite complex. Um, the Why it's quite complex is because also on the EU level, transport legislation is actually one of the biggest parts of the EU acquis due to the cross-border nature of transport. And that's why, I mean, already, and if you know, you know, the entire EU legislation when it comes to transport, both aviation, when it comes to the social issues on the road and so on, it's super complex. And also uh, the EU member states uh, sometimes struggle with the implementation um uh, and so on so of course that is even more here in the region where the you know where it, it has a different history but also different I administrative mean, capacities and so on so here i think that's why exactly the organization such as transport community is here to really bring together the experts to try to help them you know to to say so they're, they're not left alone with all these very complex pieces of legislation but we help them with capacity buildings with twinnings with different trainings to really get perhaps not ahead of the EU, but at least that you know we keep pace with it. Mm-hmm. Now, the important part of what you have said, perhaps on the other side, is um, where it could be, let's say, um, uh, leapfrogging. Yeah? And I think that uh, there, I think technology offers that. What I mean with that is that you know uh in the eu for example in rail you have the the safety system the ertms and you have a different versions of the ertms and now we are already talking about the 5g and so on mm-hmm. now of course if you go from uh, you know 3G to 4G to 5G it always takes time or tolling systems you go into one tolling system on the highways before you can go into a new tolling system sometimes you have to depreciate the old one concessions and that can take many many years oh. here for example let's say albania does not have the tolling systems yet they can go straight to the most modern tolling system today. And with that, they can be actually even ahead of some EU member states due to the historical reasons. And that's the opportunity for the Western Balkans. For example, this is what we are now doing you know, the next big thing when it comes to railway and, and innovation is the so-called digital automatic coupling, DAC. And this is, for example, something that we are bringing actually to the region. The, um, uh, we are bringing the, the wagons to the region, a demonstrator in September to show to the region how this works and to see how they can actually, you know, get into uh, the best European uh, innovation already now. And these are the opportunities which, you know, very strategic but very, you know, a sectorial that I think the Western Balkans um, uh, could, really, uh, could really use. Now, um, just looking at the big picture, I do think that region itself is in a good position in the terms of transport when it comes to the potential. Why am I saying so? If you see the bird-eye view of the region, you see that actually it connects not only the south of Europe to the central Europe or, you know, north or or south of Europe, it actually connects Europe with Middle East, connects Europe with Asia, if you go then Turkey and beyond. Mm -hmm. So basically, when the ships pass Suez Canal from Asia or from Middle East, they can actually decide to go to the ports which are nearer to their, let's say, final destination of goods, let's say the car companies or car factories in central Europe, Mm -hmm. then if they You know, sail all around Gibraltar and then go to Antwerp to go to Hamburg to take the goods on rail to then to deliver them to, let's say, Czech Republic or Austria or Hungary or beyond. But what is needed for that is a good rail system. It's a good multimodality until the ports in the region do not have a good multimodal connections specifically on the rail. This potential will always be a potential. But if they do have, you can imagine that the ships can actually go to the ports in the region, go to the rail, and then, you know, in a day, they can be actually at the final consumer. And just the final thought, you look, also in this geopolitical situation, we see what is happening, what happened with COVID, that certainly, you know, there is a rethink whether the companies should actually bring the production specifically of a very time-sensitive element closer to the European Union. Well, Western Balkans is here exactly in the best position and Turkey and North Africa to actually do that. But for that, we need to have a good transport connections. So I think that, you know, in all these geopolitical games, but also in the the structure where we are, the region is well placed. Now, the question and the biggest challenge will be if we will go from this potential to reality. And that's up to politicians and up to the governments to really make make this leap. Mm
0: Uh, that was fascinating the, the point you make about you know the region having an opportunity to leapfrog technology wise by not getting locked into to outdated you know tolling systems et cetera I guess there's a there's a parallel there with energy as well where perhaps less developed countries can go from you know coal power straight to renewables. they don't have to do gas and all this kind of thing so it so it was fascinating to you know make parallels between different sectors. Um, if we if we talk about about e mobility as well, huge priority for the EU to you know uh, electrify transportation, uh, personal car transportation in particular. Where does the the Western Balkans stand on that? Is is that a conversation and you know policy discussion being had? Are car chargers being installed on motorway service stations? I think it was this week in the EU before we recorded this. Uh, the rules about, you know, how far apart charges need to be on certain motorways has, has been agreed finally. Um, so what, what does that look like? Uh,
1: look, these are exactly a perfect examples where actually uh, digital energy and transport comes together. Mm-hmm. You know, I always think that uh, these network industries need to be planned together. Mm-hmm. That's why the 10T, so the Trans-European Network for Transport, and TEN-E, so Trans-European Network for Energy, as well as the digital, would actually need to be planned together, both in the Western Balkans, but also in the EU. Mm -hmm. Transport is already now one of the biggest consumers of energy, and in the future, or let's say, already now, one of the biggest consumers of the the IT or of the digital. And that's why these things need to go together, and a good example on that is exactly what you said, the e-charging stations. Again, the challenge in the region for that, uh, to be very clear uh, with, with my answer, is at the moment you cannot drive, or basically it will be a challenge to drive, let's say, from uh, Ljubljana via Belgrade to Thessaloniki uh, with your electric car. You might stay without electricity at one point. So it is a challenge. It's not uh, something that will be so user-friendly that you could basically do it without thinking, which is you know, necessity if you want to bring it to masses. So that's why you need, the region needs to create the network of charging stations. And that's exactly what the region has done uh, by dedicating themselves in the transport community action plan for the uh, strategy for sustainable and smart mobility uh, in the Western Balkans. Actually, and we are working with that already with them, that we identify where what's the state of play at the moment so where the charging stations already are where are the gaps how we will bridge them and by when this could be done mm-hmm. but to be honest when it comes to the charging stations that i don't see as the biggest challenge ever why because you know you already have you don't need so much space you can always do it next to the already existing um, uh, petrol stations mm-hmm. it, it is definitely something where the private capital will be interesting to invest because, of course, you can sell electricity when it comes to that. So I don't think, and you can do relatively fast that. So I don't think that that is something that will be a challenge for years and years to come. I think this is a very beautiful, small project that can actually be delivered and put uh, in, in a relatively short amount of time. And we have different regional partners here that are actually already doing that, uh, from North Macedonia to also Montenegro to also um uh, here in Serbia, so this is already definitely happening and And I'm sure that actually bringing this network together and also bringing the hydrogen for trucks that's I think is the next uh, uh, next step mm-hmm. uh, is is a way to go if we want to really bring uh, some steps toward decarbonization of transport, which is a must. Mm-hmm. So again, it's
0: really a question of planning and coordination and to to pick where you know private capital needs to be deployed to for the most effect as quickly as possible. Yes, yes. Uh, maybe maybe just a quick question then about um, you mentioned air travel as well being you know a big part of the region at the moment with the airports and things. I guess in the rest of the Europe, there's this small discussion going on about short haul flights and you know whether or not they do have a future in the modern European energy transport system is that discussion happening at all in the western balkans as well or is it a little premature to really talk about that given the things you've already said about rail being underdeveloped and you know electricity networks not quite being there yet that's something that maybe will come later
1: well exactly i mean at the moment uh, also in the eu the uh, the idea is that the uh, people should take uh, the alternative which should exist. Mm-hmm. An alternative that should exist should be the rail uh, and and that rail should be modern and that rail should be existing frequent and so on. I mean at the moment in the region, the passenger rail, as I said, uh, does not uh, exist except one international line. and then within uh, the region, which is relatively small, there are of course, um, there are of course uh, works ongoing. What I do think, that this debate will become uh, definitely very much uh, prominent, specifically once the network is modernized, and that is actually um, a good news because what we see um, part of the work of the transport community is also to monitor uh, not only what's happening on the ground today, but also what are the plans in the coming five years, and we see if we see the current projects which are being or executed, or planned, or already financing, secured, and so on, we see a big shift towards the rail. And also, we see a big shift to a really focus on the rail projects on these main corridors. So, as I said, this corridor 8, Albania, North Macedonia, Bulgaria, as well as this 10, which is then connecting the, the, the north to south, and so on. So, we see that happening already. now. This will take time. Uh, I I, I don't say that this will happen tomorrow, but in the next five, six years, I do believe that region will look very different when it comes to rail. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, because of the relatively small distances, why would you take a plane Mm -hmm. if you would have a good, reliable train connection that would serve the same distance? You know, we see that at the moment already um, with, uh, with, uh, with planes, because, of course, also the region is, Relatively, um, sometimes uh, now it's getting the, also the air connections are getting better. Uh, However, it's sometimes still a challenge to go, for example, from uh, Podgorica uh, to to Sarajevo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes you have to fly via Vienna, sometimes via Istanbul, and so on and so forth. So it definitely doesn't make a lot of sense looking at the map. But that is, unfortunately, necessity at the moment. However, with a good uh, trained connections, that would not become and that, I guess, is, this is exactly what we want to achieve. We don't want that people, uh, that the only people that move to rail are the ones who are thinking only about the environment. It should also become part of you know, necessity in the terms of the choice between, you know, this is what I want to do because it makes more sense, because I save time, because I uh, because I don't need to go, you know, one hour, two hours before at the airports, because I'm not bothered with so much security and so on. So I think that that makes sense. Now, there's an additional element in the Western Balkans, which uh, is an additional challenge, uh, which is not in the European Union, or at least not in the countries which are part of Schengen, uh, and these are borders. Mm-hmm. You know, at the moment... Uh, passengers, but specifically the freight, uh, spend way too much time waiting at the borders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, the, the reasons for that are many, but the problem is that the waiting at the borders has only a negative aspects. First of all, for businesses, for people, because for obvious reasons of economy as well as time. But secondly, also for the CO2 emissions, you need more trucks to do the same kind of work than you would if they would not be basically sitting at the borders doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Social issues, it's not fun to be at the borders on 30 degrees in a truck and so on. So, I mean, all of these things mean that actually borders are one of the bottlenecks in the region. And that's why we are working very hard with the European Union, as well as with the um, with all the regional partners here, to see how we can perhaps move towards the one-stop shops, so integrated border crossings and so on. because. We really need to focus on that because otherwise you can have a beautiful rail. You can even go 200 kilometers or more mm-hmm. and you whiz to the border in one hour and then you stay there for two hours. Then mm-hmm. what's the point? So we really need to see this a little bit more in a kind of a complex as well as a, a, as a comprehensive way. Mm-hmm.
0: Just as maybe a test case then since Croatia joined Schengen, I know they're no part of, of the transport community because they're in the EU already, but after Croatia joined Schengen, That border crossing between Slovenia and Croatia has, do you know whether or not that has improved as well in terms of rail as well as that opened up new opportunities that perhaps wouldn't have been uh, possible when there was a border check needed as well?
1: Well, definitely not. I am from Slovenia myself and I can tell you that uh, uh, from what uh, I know from Slovenia, the number of people also now going across the border both from Slovenia on the, you know which was traditionally people were going to, to to Croatia and vice versa and so on but also from Austria from Germany and so on that has increased substantially uh, uh, from the time that Croatia has entered the Union now for that to reflect on the train it will take a bit longer because um, you know the, the in the railways they have a bit specific ways of putting the um, uh, the uh, itineraries together and it happens like two times per year year the winter the summer and so on so that before that gets completely uh before all the you know new things get in place it takes a while but you still sometimes need to change the locomotives and so on so even that i think the railway needs to catch up with some of this uh uh, you know how to make things more 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 efficient or how to use this efficiency but definitely you know when it comes to also um the wider western balkans in fact of course that means that even when you go uh, from from here or when you go from uh, from from sarajevo or when you go um, from anywhere in the region now you basically don't wait anymore at one border if you're then crossing through slovenia somewhere else so mm-hmm. i think that is definitely you know one of the examples of why European integration makes so much sense, Mm -hmm. Uh, it is is really a good example of that, and I think it's also good that this, uh, what's happening in Croatia, what has happened in Croatia, that that this, you know, you can show to the people, this is what it means. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, of course, fundamental rights, the, you know, the values and so on, but also what happens on the ground. Uh, we've talked about pretty much every transport option um, apart from uh, waterborne
0: transport. The region obviously has some other famous rivers, the Danube, Sava, and, and so on. Um, what does that sector look like? Is there much interest there in you know, shifting cargo to barges and ferries? and uh, Or is it like the rest of Europe where it is, to be honest, a very underutilized transport option?
1: Um, look, uh, inland waterways are definitely underused. Um, a mode of transport uh, both w- i think within the european union well not on all rivers but definitely they have uh, much more capacity that could be filled as well as they are one of the safest modes of transport as well as the most energy efficient so i think that uh inland waterways do represent uh one of the areas where you know attention uh much more attention should be given in general i think that uh that shift uh, has already started within the eu we see the number of investments on the inland waterway ports as well as multimodal units and this shift is also happening here and um here, for example, one of the bright examples of actually how things uh, uh, can be done uh, in a very, uh, not only uh, according to the EU legislation, but also to the highest standards, is actually here on the Danube uh, when it comes to Serbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serbia is actually very advanced when it comes to the inland waterways. and But of course, inland waterways always depends on the entire network. Uh, and I think that uh, definitely... This entire network uh, should be better used uh, specifically when it comes to, you know, all the way the connection to the Black Sea, uh, as well as, of course, all the way then uh, up north. We also have a Sava River and the Sava River is the one that goes through the Bosnia-Herzegovina. And there there is a project also of European Union that we are promoting, which is demining the right bank of Sava, so on the Bosnian side, in order to be able then you know, to be used for the inland waterway transport or for anything else, because if you have mines, you cannot use it for anything. So, you know, some of the problems um, there are in the region are sometimes very, uh, let's say, fundamental. Huh? But I think that um, the work that is being done, specifically, you know, on the Danube, but also on the Sava, uh, is very crucial if we really want to have a transport network. Because then, you know, you have the intermodal units that are connecting with rail, with road. And then if you also have a rivers and, of course, connection with the ports, you can actually create um, a very sustainable system. Now, the problem that rivers have, including the Danube, but also specifically Sava, is the climate change. Huh. Um, you know, and this is something that would really need to be looked at because the levels of the river... Uh, I mean, this year has been actually quite a lot of rain, uh, uh, unusually so, um, all the way up to June, including June. Uh, so the levels of the river um, are quite high still for that time of year. But you know, a few years ago, uh, there were times where basically the sailing um, of the of the boats or of the barges was not possible because the levels of the rivers were too were too low. So I mean, so it is a little bit of a complex uh, area. However, I do think that it offers a lot of uh, an opportunity here uh, and that is actually recognized both by the European Union as well as the countries uh, by, by, by how much uh, there are investments uh, specifically in the modernization of the inland waterways ports.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Mateo, I think that's a really fantastic uh, nexus point between climate, energy, transport and how all these things are interlinked. Um, we have to leave it there I'm afraid because unfortunately we've lost that we've run out of time Uh, but I really enjoyed this chat because I think transport is very often uh, underrepresented in these kind of stories and how you know you make um, progress in one sector and it often unlocks success otherwise as well so um, I'd really like to thank you for joining the episode today
1: thank you very much it was my pleasure
0: Great show today. I really love working on these country and region specific episodes, and I hope that you enjoy listening to them as well. Looking forward to going back to the Balkans at a later date to zero in on other energy transition linked issues, as there are really so many untold stories out there just begging to be listened to. So stay tuned for that. Now, just time to answer the quiz question that I gave you at the top of the show. I asked you, Albania, one of the transport community's members, has how many kilometres of rail, according to the latest data? Is it 0, 334, 668, or 1,336 kilometres? correct answer is 334 kilometres. No international connections and just one passenger route make Albania one of the least developed railway networks in Europe. Indeed, it only ranks above microstates like Monaco, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, and Vatican City in terms of kilometres served. Cyprus, Iceland, Malta and San Marino don't have any rail, so Albania isn't rooted to the bottom of the table at least. Thanks again for tuning in today. Be sure to check out foresightdk.com and our other podcasts. I'll be back again real soon with another episode of The Policy Dispatch, and another drive through the enchanting landscape of the energy transition.